What is progressive theology? Is it another gospel? Is it a necessary corrective to those old-fashioned traditional Christians who have said the same thing for all these years? Does old mean good and does new mean bad or is it just the opposite? We're going to be talking about maybe some of the problems with historic understandings of Christianity and the benefits of progressive theology with Andrew Hill today on Theology on Air. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, as always, here on Theology on Air, this is a podcast, our weekly podcast outreach, sometimes more than weekly since we do bonus episodes from time to time. Uh, really an extension of Theology on Tap, which uh, is a, a monthly gathering here in Houston every other month around craft beer, every month on uh, Zoom, though right now these days during COVID times. But uh, we uh, were, uh, you know, well, our grand poobah is with us, as always here on Theology on Air, Sarah Stone. That's me. Uh, outreach director for young adults at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church. I'm Evan McClanahan. I'm the pastor at First Lutheran. And we like to talk about social issues, political, moral, sort of all kinds of issues. And actually, I think today's topic is going to cover a lot of those, mm -hmm. uh, that terrain. Let's say too, this is part two of a three-part series where we're trying to get to kind of what is the core of Christianity. You know, where does Christianity get it right? Where do we get it wrong? And uh, so we're looking today at sort of maybe some of the more traditional or conservative angles of Christianity. And Andrew's going to bring maybe a critique of that as he would offer a more progressive theology. So Sarah, did I that a You just froze for a second, so I didn't hear, but you said my name. What, what oh, did you ask I, me? I said, I said, Sarah, did I get all that about right? You got it all great. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, let's jump in. Andrew, why don't you tell us kind of about yourself? You and Sarah know each other through Facebook, and uh, I, sh I should have introduced you. Uh, you run, uh, uh, well, one of you, you pastor a church called Paradox Collective up in Ottawa. Ottawa's, yeah, that's right. Ottawa's a city, right? It is. It's the capital of Canada. Uh, oh, Ca yeah. I didn't know that. A lot of there people are, think it's Toronto, but Toronto's there, the capital of Ontario. There are six provinces of Canada, right? There are ten. Oh, oh, man. All right. All right. Well, my, and my three Canadian... territories. Yeah. This is like a geography well, lesson yeah. and a theology lesson all in one podcast. Yeah. You're welcome. All right. Well, tell us, tell us your story and tell us about uh, your church and how you got into that. Maybe transition from where you used to be to where you are now and how you kind of got there. Yeah. So I, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's great to uh, have these conversations. I love them. So especially when we can, you know, uh, when you've got a wide range of guests and and you want to you know have people on that respectfully disagree because i'm i still firmly believe that we can have these conversations and learn from one another without it being so you know you hop on social media and sometimes it's just tempting to just delete every account because it's so vicious nowadays but i think we can have these conversations in a in a really loving and respectful way so thanks for what you're doing here um yeah i was uh born and raised in the evangelical church. I was raised uh, in the Free Methodist Church, um, which is very similar to Wesleyan. Um, and I was a part of two different Free Methodist churches from zero to 18. Um, and it was a really, really positive experience for me. Uh, I loved going to church as a kid. I loved Sunday school, uh, loved, Pioneer Club and VBS and all the stuff that goes along with it just had a really 
positive experience with with good role models and um, just was captivated from a very very young age uh, uh, on the person of Jesus uh, and that went all throughout uh, youth group really involved in my youth group was a camp counselor at a Christian camp that I grew up going to which is also part of our denomination loved children just big people person so it was uh, no surprise to, I think those of them close to me, friends and family, when I decided I wanted to be a pastor towards the end of high school. So um, that took me to Australia. I'd always been super, super intrigued with Australia as a country. I think like every like history or geography, you know, activity or project in school where we had to pick a country for anything, I would always choose Australia. Yeah, so I actually went to Hillsong's uh, mm-hmm. college out there. Um, they At the time, they just had like a certificate level program. So I entered into that and then they actually partnered about partway through my first year with a, with a smaller Pentecostal uh, seminary there to offer uh, degree level programs. So I switched into that, got my Bachelor of Theology and, uh, you know, was... I would say the first year or two was like I was all all in. It was definitely a very different experience. And you know, the college is so intertwined with the church there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just, it was definitely a different experience in terms of uh, worship style for sure. Definitely a lot more lively. Um, lively. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, in a, it's AOG Pentecostal, so different theology. Um, I would say like the first year or two, I was just kind of like in awe of just, uh, just, I mean, I'd never, I'd never been a part of a mega church before. Um, so you're just kind of, there's the honeymoon period and then, you know, and then you're attending these theology classes and you're being encouraged to think and, you know, you start, you know, looking around and being like, well, maybe I'm not at all on it in on all this stuff. Um, so by the time I left, I think I kind of had more of a, personal theology in terms like I was you know kind of deconstructing my faith in my own way then but not not to the full extent that I did a number of years ago about five years ago Um, so you know in in the in the denomination that I grew up in uh, and then attending church in Australia I never you know a lot of people who end up in a more and I'm someone who you know for argument's sake we'll call it you know progressive christianity where i've kind of uh camped out in for now um a lot of people that might find themselves where i am now um people will ask all right well like what like you must have been really hurt by the church like what Mm -hmm. did somebody do to you or whatever and for me it's like as a straight white cisgender male like (laughs) it was easy because you know it was everyone that was on top, you know, was looked, looked like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really have too many negative experiences in the church going actually the opposite. Right. So, um, but most of what kind of unraveled for me was, you know, growing up and being a part of, uh, communities outside of church, whether that was jobs that I had or at school and hearing, you know, what, what I was taught about atheists and how they think and why they think that way or queer people or, um, 
you know, women in leadership was, I was actually in the free Methodist church, like two of their, two of their founding beliefs were uh, allowing women in leadership mm-hmm. and being against slavery. So like they were off to a good start, but at the same time, patriarchy is still, you know, you can, you can believe in, in women in leadership on paper, um, but not necessarily embody that. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I still didn't have any female pastors or anything like that. Um, so I think for me, it was more so, and I'm sure we'll get to this in terms of the unraveling of my faith uh, and then the rebuilding of it. But for me, it was more so, okay, this is what the church says about, you know, these different groups of people. I'm living my life, you know, day to day, week to week, brushing up against these certain people. And I'm just not seeing how they're the evil that, you know. I've been, I'm taught that they are in church or, or whatever. So um, it was more so it wasn't like a, for me, it wasn't a direct, oh, you hurt me. I'm going to change my mind. It was like, well, you're kind of hurting these people over here. So I'm going to, I'm going to explore that a little bit and, and see where I end up. Yeah. I think a lot of people fall into that category of just, yeah, I'm not the, the wounded party here, but I'm looking around at the people around me and they seem to be marginalized by right. my own people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look at, you know, who, who Jesus hung out with and the words that he said, and you're kind of like, well, I think we're, I don't think, (laughs) I think we're actually like the religious people in this category. We're not the, Mm -hmm. we're not the wounded. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's easy to play victim. So what, what denomination or church tradition are you in now? And how, how'd you get from Hillsong to there, I guess? Yeah. So, uh, was at Hillsong for a number of years and then moved back to Ottawa and started, uh, well, came on board about three months. Uh, my wife and I as associate pastors of this brand new church um, that was technically non-denominational, but had like Presbyterian roots uh, here in Ottawa and then moved to Houston to be closer to my wife's family. Uh, ended up uh, working at a, I thought, non-denominational church that turned out to be a Southern Baptist church incognito, which is a really popular thing to do after unearthing that. Um, (laughs) So, and that's when I had my deconstruction, major deconstruction of faith Hmm. uh, was technically, I'd say like agnostic for about four months following that. um, And then found uh, more of a progressive, inclusive, and what I would call generous uh, theology. And now uh, the church that we started in Ottawa here, we're a Christian church, Disciples of Christ, um, which is a denomination I knew nothing about growing up because there's only, I think we're one of 20 in Canada, hmm. um, but there's a lot more in the States. Uh, so it was actually in Houston that I met a couple of DOC pastors down there and um, it, it's just been a perfect fit for us. They've been, they've been amazing. Um, very, very similar, I'd say theologically to Anglican, but, um, a lot less. Cause for me, someone with an evangelical background, evangelical education, job experience, all of that, um, it can be really hard when you're like, oh crap, I'm not evangelical anymore, but you're still Christian and you still want to do this, um, vocationally. And, you know, you find a, find yourself in a mainline denomination and have to jump through tons of hoops and essentially start all over again. So there's definitely been quite a bit of work that I've had to do to, to uh, join, but not like it, it's not. 
Anglicans or, or the United Church or anything like that. So they've been great. So what would you say were like, I, I don't know if you want to list it, but you know, three to five of the main issues that were deconstructed for you, like where you, I don't know, changed your mind or abandoned ideas or interpreted scripture differently, however you would put it. What, what are like the top, your top 10, your top five, your top three, where bam, it just changed. Yeah. So, um, the biggest one was hermeneutics, like how, how I, essentially the way that I was taught, the only way that I was taught to interpret scripture, um, you know, basically all literally, um, was just, it wasn't even, and that's the other thing. A lot of people think like you, you, and maybe some people do, I can't speak of everybody, but for me, I didn't choose, you know, progressive Christianity. It kind of chose me (laughs) in a way that like, it, it was the only way for me that I could remain Christian. Integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, it was just like uh, interpreting scripture the way that I was taught my whole life l- just lit- literally wasn't working anymore. It wasn't working for it was impossible for me to look at scripture that way and still remain Christian. And out of that, uh, I'd say two or three of the main issues were, um, you know, the supposed, uh, uh, what's the word, the supposed. Um, you know, faith and science being at odds with one another um, was a big one. Um, you know, reading reading the creation story, actually there's two <laughs> that don't agree. So, you know, reading those two back to back and just being like, oh, but, you know, evolution and the Big Bang, the evidence for that is just so compelling. And who who told us, who told us that we need to read that story literally, first of all, you know, the Bible even didn't. Um, so that was a big one. Um, and then I'd say even a bigger one for me was just, uh, the inclusion of, or disclusion of LGBTQ folks in the church. That was a major one for me as I, um, just had a lot more queer people end up in my life and saw their relationships and the fruit and their hearts and their love for Jesus. Um, it was just, it was really, it was really tough to keep that one under the rug and not lift it up. Yeah. Can I ask a question? When you, you said you used to read the Bible like more literally mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't working for you anymore. Can you give mm-hmm. maybe a couple of examples of how it wasn't working and how maybe you read scripture now that is working? Because it, it's not mm-hmm. quite enough to say, well, it wasn't working for me. Like I don't like some stuff in the Bible, yeah. but then I don't just change my whole hermeneutic, but maybe explore that a little bit more. Yeah, for me. So I... I would say now I don't read the Bible literally. I try to read it literarily. Yeah. Um, with, with 66 books compiled into one, like I can't, you know, we've, you, I, there's definitely history in there, I think. Yeah. Um, there's definitely things I think, I think the teachings of Jesus above all else, I think should be taken literally. Um, but then you get into complications too, and there's four gospels and they don't always line up. So for me, it's, it's, I think there can be a difference between uh, truth and fact in the way of, okay, do I believe that uh, the cre- the creation story is a big one for me, yeah. right? Cause the more I would get into science and the more I would have like actual scientists friends, again, like you hear, so much at least for me my background was you heard so much about like 
atheists and how they hate God and scientists or this and that. And you meet them and you're just like, you actually have so much more humility and wonder. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas it's the Christians that I'm seeing in my life that are so certain about everything and we actually don't have any faith at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just, a lot of it was just my experience and going, okay, well, do I believe the, the first three chapters of the Bible actually happened that way? Not at all. Yeah. Do I believe it's true? A hundred percent. That's a good distinction. Um, yeah. Just in the same way that I would say, you know, if I was to, if you were to ask me about my wife, Missy, and I said, I love her to the moon and back, you're not going to say like, well, how do you know you've never been to the moon? Yeah. It's like, no, there, I, my love for her is so strong that I need a metaphor or to mm-hmm. explain it. And I honestly think if the first three chapters of Genesis was explaining the big bang and evolution through millions of years, it'd be really boring. Uh, and I, and, and for me taking that story, Adam, I don't believe there was these two people um, that talked to a snake and ate an apple. Once, once that's not just about those two people and it's not a historical event, then it begs the question, okay, like, if that's a metaphor, what does that mean for us? And for, for me, I see that as like the story of humanity, not the story of the first two humans. So it actually like makes the, the story so much bigger and expansive and way more personal to me. Hmm. So do you think, you know, do you think that kind of the way that like you're doing church now, if you will, um, or what you would say preach and teach is kind of the way the church ought to be going? Like, do you think that the way that you left is wrong? Or do you think, you know, it's a cornucopia and there's all kinds of churches, they serve different functions, they do different things. Where, where would you kind of fall on that spectrum? I, I would have a hard time putting it that way. Um, that just would sound too prideful, I think, for me to say. Um, I think when it comes to, like, style or even some theological issues like for me i mean if you want to going back to the to the uh creation and evolution thing like if you want to believe in a little six day, literal six day creation and that's like working for you and makes you feel connected to god i'm like go for it like awesome i'm not going to i have no desire to like argue that with you because at the end of the day no one's dying by suicide over their beliefs on a literal six day creation. Mm-hmm. Um, are people dying by suicide who are queer in the church based on how the church has treated them? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I wouldn't say the way we're doing everything is the way that, that every church ought to do. Um, absolutely not in terms of like order of service and our style and uh, music, like, who, like all that stuff I think is the more diverse, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our views on um, full inclusion, um, absolutely. Because to me, it's, mm-hmm. it's our, our, is anyone feeling marginalized? And the, mar- the historical marginalized groups are kind of where we, where we uh, want to you know, stay in check as a, as a community um, to make sure that you know, we're, not, we're not causing harm. Yeah. So I always want to try to find some points of agreement first. Um, you know, for example, uh, in, 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 Lutheran, in the Lutheran world, on that, say, the evolution six-day creation, there's, there's a wide range there. And, um, you know, I, I sort of come down that, you know, on that issue, the creed says that God the Father created the heavens and the earth. There's not a lot of details. And 
So I think there's some wiggle room on something like that. I, I would I would tend to agree there. Uh, I mean, I understand why people don't feel that way, but 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 I would say that there's some wiggle room. Um, let me let me ask it this way though, because I, I mentioned before we started the recording that you know I left a more liberal you know mainline Protestant denomination, and it really was over the issue of LGBT. I mean, in 2009, ELCA voted to essentially allow practicing you know homosexuals to be pastors, and that was sort of a, a watermark event in that denomination. And from then on, it was transgender, and it was I mean like there was really I don't know many issues that are off the table, and many of the progressives that I used to be still have contact with on Facebook or something were extremely dogmatic about, you know, those views. Um, you know, but my, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that's, it, it's, it's one of those issues that ultimately has been, you know, proved to be very church dividing. Um, and, and I guess um, from my point of view, would you say that if I held to a kind of traditional view of marriage, like, is that a wrong belief? Speak your truth here, Andrew. It's yeah, a yeah. I okay. I can take I would, all, all kinds of things. So you know. Oh, I'm not afraid of. I, 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 I just think a question like that, like I need to think, think about. I, yeah, I would say, I would say, that is a wrong belief. Although I strongly empathize with people that hold that belief, because it's not too long ago that I held that belief too. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think when we talk about fundamentalism, um, it's, it's, it's not just a conservative thing. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm going to spend my, I'm very, uh, you know, I'm busy. I've got three kids. I've got a day job. I'm bivocational. So I'm mm -hmm. not getting paid for the pastoral gig. Um, that's just something that, that's what I'm passionate bills. Um, which I'm fine with. So I'm, you know, I don't have a ton of time if I'm going to go out for lunch with somebody. Um, and my choice is, uh, a, a conservative loving person or a, uh, progressive ass. <laughs> I'm going to go out with the, I'm going to go out for lunch with the conservative, even though I probably disagree. Um, mm -hmm. because the danger, and I see it a lot, uh, because I've changed my mind on a number of things. Um, the danger of fundamentalism uh, or the danger of thinking about it uh, as, as just a conservative thing is really, I think, really toxic because I know a ton of, of fundamentalist people on the left uh, mm. that, aren't, that aren't doing anyone any good. Um, maybe it's time so, for us to define some terms, though, because uh, maybe the terms we need to define are fundamentalism or fundamentalists within like the parameters of faith that we're talking about progressive theology, because it doesn't mean that you're Democrats, right? Progressive theology yeah, is something yeah. different. So, and we don't even have Democrats up here. So, well, okay, there we go. Yeah. I guess I didn't even, I'm so entrenched in American policy and mm. politics, but so sure. maybe define those terms as you see them. So that as we're going forward, people know when you say a fundamentalist, they, what does that mean? Does that mean it's a six day creationist that think that being gay is a sin? Like, how would you define some stuff? Yeah, I think, um, I think a fen a, like if we're really, really, really zooming out and we're just defining fundamentalism regardless of, of what your beliefs actually are, hmm. um, it's, I think it's how you hold your beliefs. 
Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm such a big fan of, uh, citing people who I'm quoting. I can't remember who said this, but I love it. And it's hold your beliefs like you would a porcupine, <laughs> you know, cause how many of us believe the same things now that we did, you know, last year or five mm-hmm. years or 10 mm-hmm. years from now. Um, for me, so much about deconstructing and reconstructing is, has been learning about what repentance actually means and that's to change your mind. Um, so for me, it's, I think beliefs are somewhat important. I think, uh, faith and love are a lot more important. And I think if we're really, really, really being honest with ourselves, I think, uh, everyone to an extent has to admit some, some way, shape or form of agnosticism. Like for me, I have no problem calling myself a Christian. Um, I also have no problem calling myself a very hopeful agnostic because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like we can't prove any of this stuff. Hmm. Um, and for me, say, a big, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, was, I mean, would you say that if someone does hold some beliefs with certainty, for example, that mm-hmm. Jesus rose from the dead um, or, um, or, or how they understand the gospel. And that's because that's a question mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you too. Like, how do you define the gospel? Because mm-hmm. in my conversations, a lot of progressives, we, we use that word and we really mean very different things by it. So I'd be mm-hmm. curious as what you think about that. Um, but, you know, like, like if I hold to something with certainty, would you consider that a fundamentalist belief? Hmm. Um, I think so. But I don't think in that case, uh, it's necessarily a bad thing. Um, uh, what, what beliefs would be, what beliefs would you say would be bad to hold with certainty? I think beliefs that affect other people different from ourselves. Okay. So like, so um, you can find this outside of faith. Like someone could be fundamentalistic about the way they view of a certain people group that has nothing to do with their faith or yeah. how their views on recycling or eating yeah. vegan or whatever the thing is. You could be a fundamentalist For about. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. There's a really, really, really good book called um, oh, How God Changes Your Brain by Andrew Newberg, who's a neuroscientist. Who's I have this fasc- book. It's oh, fascinating. Have you read it? Isn't that a great I, book? I've read of the first couple of chapters and then I got okay. on to something else, but yeah. It, well, we'll probably talk about it a little bit later uh, if, if we start really talking about you know the potential dangers or doubting me doubt having my own doubts about even where I am now. Um, but one thing that's with one thing that really stuck to me out about that book here, you've got this neuroscientist who's agnostic, who's obsessed and super did spiritual what it's um, and uh, essentially the book is just uh, uh all these brains, all the, all the data that they've called from brain scans mm-hmm. um, in a really, really actually easy to understand uh-huh. uh, yet scientific way where they, where they found that f- uh, kind of like a personal fundamentalism um, that's very uh, individual um, isn't necessarily a bad thing, um, but a fundamentalism that actually uh, includes beliefs that are very damaging to other people um is that it can actually be bad for your brain to believe mm-hmm. that um which i find super fascinating because if we're you know if we believe this holistic 
gospel and that God created us in God's image and that we're good um, and God wants us to thrive and be healthy in every way, then why would God's character uh, be bad for us to believe, like be bad for our bodies to believe? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really fascinating question. So yeah. Um, as for, as for the gospel, um, it's going to be really hard to talk about that without talking about atonement and atonement theories. Um, Get after it. You know, Let's go. I, I, I definitely used to be in the camp of, you know, penal substitutionary atonement. Um, although it was never like taught to me in church like that way. But looking back on it now, I've, you know, thought, okay, that's definitely where I, uh, where I landed. Um, and now, now, uh, really thankful, you know, to unpack and discover different theories. I think there's seven main atonement theories, um, that are popular and, and the Christos Victos, uh, one for me is the one that I've really, uh, clung to and just makes the most sense to me now. Um, one of the best ways, uh, Brad Jersak, who's a Canadian theologian out in British Columbia, um, has a great, uh, critique of penal substitutionary atonement. And he once, you know, believed that too, but he said, you know, like, why would, why would you, uh, get a baseball through your window from the neighbor's, from the neighbor's kid and go, okay, I need to beat my own kid to, to, to make it right. And you're just kind of like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. And that's what Mm. we think, you know, that's what we think, you know, God did to Jesus to be able to forgive everybody. So, um, you know, uh, seeing Jesus as God in the flesh coming down and absorbing all the violence of humanity um, and not, you know, God punishing God in this like cosmic child abuse kind of way. Um, but absorbing the violence and essentially defeating death. I think, I think it's more Mm -hmm. about defeating death than like dying for your sins. Um, And when I go back and read Paul's letters in light of that, it actually, it actually is really uh, evident that that's more of what it's about. Um, Not, and I'm not one of those, you know, there's a lot of progressive Christians that I would say like, don't talk about sin enough. Like I still think, I mean, there's sin is a huge problem. Uh, but I don't, my, my experience too also, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping all around here, mm-hmm. uh, this makes me think of original sin, which is a doctrine that I think is perhaps one of the most damaging. Um, but my experience with church people and non-church people is they know, they, they're very aware of their own sin. Like people don't need you to tell them how much or why they suck. Like we all, we all feel that shame. Mm-hmm. Like I know that's a universal experience. I think we need to be reminded of our goodness. Hmm. Um, and that to me is, yeah, like I've never held a newborn baby and thought, oh man, what a bundle of sin. It's like, <laughs> no, like you were created good in the image of God and you're beautiful and you're perfect. And I think everybody has the equal propensity for both good and evil. But do I think we're fundamentally flawed? No. Um, That's I don't interesting. Know, the first time my kids cried, I was like, man, what a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> didn't think about my need for sin. Uh, it's interesting because uh some of what you're saying we we recently recorded a two-part podcast on kind of like christian mysticism Mm -hmm. and that's and like richard Rohr and some of his teachings Mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the ideas there is sort of re reclaiming this idea that we were originally made good very good right and that we think of ourselves first and foremost as sinful when maybe what we should think is that we were made good 
and then something became broken and then what does it look like? To, and of course you and I might see that second mm -hmm. part differently. I don't think people mm -hmm. have sort of equal propensities for good and evil, but we agree about that, that we were created mm -hmm. good. Something went terribly wrong, whether it's original sin or something else, it's, there's brokenness. I mean, we could both agree about that. Yeah. I just freeze. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, also yeah. think it's interesting that, that, that I mean, you, you, you wanted to talk about the atonement at all. Uh, okay, we can, we can debate theories of the atonement. And actually, we did a show on that 20 episodes ago or so. And that's really quite good. But the reason I think it's interesting, because usually when I talk to progressives or, or whatever, and it, we talk about the gospel, like, for example, Brian McLaren will say, the gospel is that the kingdom of heaven is near, right? Because like in the gospel of Mark, the good news is that the kingdom of heaven is near. And he will use that to really as a kind of jumping off point for the, for the idea being that, well, when Christ is proclaimed and Christ is near, then the kingdom is near. And then we go about the work of building the kingdom or doing kingdom works. Mm -hmm. um, at least that's my understanding of kind of how he reads it rather than um, the understanding that the, the reason that Jesus came in. Now, again, you might agree with McLaren more on this, but so I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but what I would say is like, ultimately the reason that Jesus came is, is for the forgiveness of sins and the promise of everlasting life. I mean, I, I don't know that we can really promise much more than that, although we have a legal framework by which we would go about trying to build a better world and love our neighbor and such. Mm -hmm. um, the disagreement, so I think there, there could be two real disagreements between, say, traditionalists and progressives. One would be, like, is the gospel really about the, 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 right, the writing of sin? Like, is, is it about the atonement? I mean, any of the atonement theories are ultimately about incarnation mm -hmm. to, to fix the problem of sin. Or is it about kingdom building? So that would be one question. And I think mm -hmm. you've already said you're on the side of the atonement, but maybe not 100%. You can say that. But then the other one would be, well, what is the context of sin? Like, how do we know what sin is? So like we would already disagree, for example, uh, on and the issue of the day. Actually, beyond abortion, I mean, because I actually think that is the justice issue of our day. But LGBT issues, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, what, we, what we disagree with is that you would say it's not in the context of sin, and I would say that it is. You might mm -hmm. say that makes me a fundamentalist. I would say it, it's, not a, it's not fundamentalism to, to hold to certain interpretations. I mean, mm -hmm. there are some things that we can say with certainty that, that are just wrong or right. So anyway. Mm -hmm. What would you say about the, I don't know if you're familiar with Brian McLaren. I, yep. I heard you say generous orthodoxy. I think that's one of his books, right? Do, yep. do, you, yep. do, do you think that that idea of like that the gospel is that the kingdom is near is a relevant, is, is that an, I mean, do you think that's an acceptable definition of the gospel, I guess? I think that's part of it. That's mm -hmm. not, I, I definitely wouldn't just uh, explain it like that. Another, another big piece for me uh, would be to say, I think, I think a large part of, of why Jesus came. Cause again, I don't think, I don't think God needed his son to come and die. So God could forgive us. Um, that, but I do not... this as a placeholder. Okay. But, but carry on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, a large part of why Jesus came was to show us who God really is. Mm -hmm. because, and this was a big one for me with deconstruction. It's like, okay, like there's the God of the old Testament. And then there's the Jesus of the new. Let's stop pretending that they're 
in a lot of ways, very opposite beings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got, you've got wait, Jesus. Wait, I, I just yeah. want to, are you saying let's stop pretending that they are opposite beings mm-hmm. or let's stop pretending that they're the same being? Yeah. Yeah. The latter. So let's stop pretending that they're the same. Okay. Um, As a place. Holder, very, just, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know. Well, no, I just, because, because no, sometimes in my speech, I'll be like, uh-huh. And, and, it, yeah. and I just want you to know, like, okay, you know, anyway, yeah. for the listeners out there, go, go ahead though. <laughs> um, yeah, just very, not in every way, um, but there's just a lot of things that, you know, like God, you know, ordering the complete wipeout of Canaan. It's like, okay, like there's the men, the women, the children, like, it's genocide, right? You can't really, you can't really imagine Jesus giving that order. And then you, all, all the, all the lines about, yeah, but he came to fulfill it. It's just like, yeah, but God still, you, you believe that God still did that. I've got a huge, like, I, I, I can't follow a God that would have ever done that. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was you, you, we read this book that's compiled of 66 with different authors written in different places different times over thousands of years and we can see the beauty of scriptures we can see within scripture an an evolution of who this god is and who this god isn't um you're not going to see you know ton you're going to get you're going to see disagreements within the old testament we're going to see disagreements within the new we're going to see disagreements within both um not everything lines up and that to me the messiness and the beauty and the humanity of it is just so compelling that you know the israelites which literally means like to wrestle with god are wrestling through okay who is this who is our god um and i think you know my friend bill has this great analogy you know, when you pump gas, there's a sticker on the, on the pump where it said, if there's any, if there's any dispute between uh, the number on the sign and what you pay, we're going with the number on the sign. Hmm. Okay. And, and he may, he uses this metaphor to go, okay, like if there's any dispute between who God is, um, you know, between this is something that God supposedly did in the old Testament or something that Jesus did, like Jesus trumps all. So um, you, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you're fine. Uh, do, do you think that, um, okay. So maybe a couple of questions. One yeah. is what you said could put the doctrine of the Trinity, like at great peril, because, you know, you're really teasing apart, you know, I think the being of God in that respect, um, or do you think that the Old Testament just simply doesn't accurately portray what took place? That these were, um, I mean, are these, are, let me put it this way. Do you think the Bible is an accurate revelation from the one God of the universe? Or do you think that we worship a God that we have inadequate knowledge about? Like the, the Old Testament is just inaccurately, like that whole thing about the Canaanites, that, that can't be right. I think... Uh... I think there are certain things like, you know, we could, if we look at the gospels, the four gospels, like there's some, there's some uh, time frames and certain uh, words that are different throughout. And they like, we have four gospels that don't always agree. So 
you know, with the Old Testament, I think there, I think there are definitely ways in which God is being portrayed that, for example, like, I don't think God was ever okay with slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think God is portrayed by the writers who are, were definitely inspired by the relationship with this God to write down certain things at certain point, points of time based on their knowledge and understanding and human evolution and enlightenment at that time. But we can look back on now and go, you know, maybe, maybe in light of Jesus, they, you know, weren't there yet. And to me, that's not a reason to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Cause I think here's the danger, right? I think, I think a lot of uh, atheists and fundamentalist Christians read the Bible the exact same way. Mm -hmm. Right they read it all literally. And then one group, not everybody, not everyone who would call themselves fundamentalists, but every, you know, they read it, they read it both literally. A lot of fundamentalists will believe it all literally. And then the atheists will just throw the whole thing out mm-hmm. again, not everybody. Um, so I think, you know, the danger is just not, you know, using wisdom and discernment and going, okay, in light of this, maybe God actually didn't tell the Israelites to do that. Maybe the Israelites thought God told them to do that based on their understanding of God at that time. Yeah, I I 100% agree with you that hardcore fundamentalists and atheists read, especially the Old Testament, the very same way. It's it's literal and there's no taking into account for context or history or the audience or any of that kind of thing. And so, yeah, when, when th- they all throw the baby out. Some also throw the bathwater out. I don't know if I got that right. But <laughs> I guess what I'm wondering is I've heard you say – a couple of times a phrase sort of like, I can't worship a God that would blah, 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 or that didn't work for me. If we, at the beginning, you kind of set up a couple of different um, bullet points that would sort of represent progressive Christianity. One is, um, or maybe why you moved. One was like kind of the faith and science not gelling. And I think the three of us in this conversation would agree that we don't have to agree about the Genesis account to like sort of have a laugh about it in heaven, right? Um, and then the LGBTQ thing, if we just for a moment shelve that issue. It seems like the bulk of everything else that we've been talking about comes back to how you read scripture. Right? Absolutely. And so Absolutely. that's yeah. kind of my question for you is I think a skeptic of your, and I see a lot of really good in the way that you're doing that because you're saying, I'm not just going to read the words on the page. I'm going to try to understand all of what went into that so that I can have a full orbed idea that, that goes along with this. But skeptics or dissenters of progressive theology would say you come up with what you think is fair or good and then you you find a way to assign that to god and so you can read it that way how would you respond to that that like for instance in the new testament when jesus says love your enemies i do not like that verse i've Mm -hmm. never liked that verse i want to hate Mm -hmm. my enemies it's so much Mm -hmm. easier but but i believe the words are true whether i like them or not why do I do that with something like that? But in the old Testament, I'm like, Oh, it seems like a lot of killing. I'm going to figure out a way that that doesn't actually mean that. How, how would you respond to people that would say that's what you're doing? I would say, I wish I was that smart (laughs) (laughs) to do that. And, and you know, that's part of, that's part of uh, what led me to essentially agnosticism for four months was I, I, whether it's, whether it's a conservative fundamentalist Christianity or a opposite spectrum, super wildly progressive, anything goes, whatever. Um, I, I need my integrity 
and mm-hmm. I need to actually believe what I believe. Yeah. So for four, for four long agonizing months mm. as an agnostic while a pastor, Ooh. super awkward. I see. Yeah. Um, you know, it was hell because, because it, it wasn't like I was mad at God or mad at the church or it was just like, I actually can't go on believing in this way. Mm-hmm. So that led me on a quest for, okay, are there ways in which I can, I can remain Christian with perhaps a shift in beliefs that are actually true to me? And I still feel like I can be true to myself and true to who I believe God is and have integrity. Yeah. Uh, and if not, I was ready to throw the towel in. I really, really was. Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I didn't find another way, like I was, I wouldn't say comfortable with being an atheist. Um, but if I had to choose between atheism and fundamentalist conservative Christianity, again, it wouldn't even have been a choice. It would be like, well, yeah. those are the two choices. I can't go back there. So then um, what kept you, you said you wanted to stay a Christian, which I think is a lovely mm-hmm. way of putting it. And I, and I hear that from my, I deal with a lot of atheists and agnostics that will say, I want it to be true. You know, yeah. so what, yeah. what even made you want that to stay a Christian or to come back to Christianity? Yeah, just the just the roots. Like that's my story, right? Like my whole family and my sense of community, and uh, still like utterly compelled with the person of of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just didn't want to. I didn't. You know, it really felt like dealing with a with the death, not of like someone super close family wise, like a spouse or a kid, but like you know, maybe like an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, like you've grown up with these, uh, this sense of identity and belonging Mm -hmm. and no one really hurt you again. Like it wasn't like, you know, I was like, you know, I had negative experiences, but nothing to make me go, well, I screw you guys. Like I'm out of here. You hurt me. Um, it, uh, yeah, it was just, it was hell to not Mm -hmm. feel like I belonged anymore. Um, I think, I think a big part of it was just the sense of community and just seeing the beauty and, and who Jesus was. So then finding, finding, you know, different writers and thinkers um, and artists and musicians and, you know, kind of realizing that I'm not alone in that five years Mm -hmm. ago was like, Oh, okay, this we're there's, there's more out there. And then discovering that more and then actually being able to believe that with no, like, with no like theological gymnastics, <laughs> you know, um, was just really, was really beautiful. And it, hardship still came after that because here I am still in this church that uh, isn't there. And, you know, that eventually led to me um, getting canned and now we're up here. And that a lot of that story reminds me, I had a couple of years in college because of really Bart Ehrman's, we Bart Ehrman's for and and it kind of threw me for a loop and yeah eventually I had to work my way out of it and one one of the ways was I kept going to church and I realized I really loved those people and like even if it mm. wasn't true like these are the best people I know and and yeah. something's behind all that so eventually I sort of used the community to work back into faith but mm-hmm. let me let me ask you this because this is one of the I mean one of my concerns about progressive theology which is I think in a way sort of gaining steam and through 
you know, the social justice mantra, Black Lives Matter, things like that, which I, I do want to kind of touch on later if we can. Um, but one of my concerns about it is that it seems to often be a kind of stepping stone to just unbelief. Hmm. And one of, the, one of my core beliefs, and I'm very reformed, I guess, in this way, is that, you know, God is God and he is who he is and we either repent and come before him as he is or, you know, or we don't. But there's, there's really not another way around it. Like there's not a way to tailor God so that he's acceptable to us. And that seems like I hear a lot of what, you know, progressives are doing. It's like, well, I don't really like that God, but if I could just change him a little bit and kind of design him in a certain way, then, then it'll be acceptable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like R.C. Sproul's The Holiness of God would be a, like a good short book to like, yeah. You know, to like read about like, this is who God is and he's holy and that's his primary, you might say, attribute and we have to kind of deal with it. And so if I were to offer maybe a critique or something or a concern really, because um, because I might be concerned that, you know, you might not be Christian soon, uh, yeah. that you, you don't have enough to hang on to. It's, it's that there's a, um, I mean, let me put it like this. What if I'm right about the LGBT question? What if, what if what the Bible says about the Canaanites is just the way it is? What, mm-hmm. if, what if God were standing right in front of you right now and he said, no, 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 I really think that homosexual acts are really intrinsically wrong and they should not be done by any human being. And I really did wipe out the Canaanites. And, and I'm in my holiness, I have that prerogative. I have that right to do that. What, if that was, there was no compromise, there was no way around it. Like, what would you say to God then? Ooh. It's so it's such a leading the witness question, but, I, but well, I'm curious how you'll respond. And it's, oh, if my wife was here, she'd laugh because I hate wildly hypothetical questions. I don't think it's hypothetical because I think that's who God is. You know? Yeah, see, it's, I so, I so don't. So like, even like entertaining the thought that God, I mean, I, like, I, I can't. Yeah, I would, I would offer that actually you, that progressives offer a hypothetical God. Because, I mean, of course, this gets into hermeneutics and like just how you interpret scripture. And I don't mean this like as a personal attack. I just, mm-hmm. it's just my objective take that progressive offer. They, they end up portraying a, the God that they want to exist, not the God that the Bible mm-hmm. reveals. You know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but you would probably say that I do the same. Yeah, I mean, I could I could ask you about your views on slavery, hmm. um, which the Bible supports. Yeah. yeah. Well, we we would get into, for example, whether, I mean, for example, the the word the Hebrew word uh, uh, that we now translate as slave was translated as servant for for centuries and centuries. It wasn't until hmm. the mid eighteen hundreds that that actually was translated slave. So I actually don't know that slave is the best word to use. And actually the new NASB is going back to servant, hmm. Uh, hmm. which I think is really fascinating because I think there's a recognition of that. Hmm. Um, I, I would also, I, I, that I could argue the same thing about homosexuality because that word hasn't hmm. been in. Oh, I hate Bible the word. I, I hate the word homosexuality. 1946. Yeah. So, yeah. Homosexuality is a horrible yeah. word. We should just stick yeah. with what the, bi- I mean, we should just use arsenicoita or malacoy or something. Yeah. Um, man, man bed. Yeah, well, I, I think the and he's using the Greek Septuagint from Leviticus and all of that to to come up with that word, which is, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to get into details, but I think he's clearly describing um, sodomy is what we call it now. Um, so, um, 
So yeah, I don't know if we want, I mean, we could debate like all those issues. Well, I would love to actually save y'all's debates about things like slavery and homosexuality and really like because of the nature of this three-part series, we're trying to get a, what is essential Christianity? What's not essential? Mm -hmm. And you know, when like some of progressive theology, I remember reading some Gregory Boyd back in the day. I'm assuming you're a fan of his. I hear some of his language kind of coming through and like, Uh, yeah, yeah. Not everything, but I definitely, when it comes to, you know, atonement and and, uh, it comes to uh, atonement. Uh, I love, I love his stuff on that. Well, and I think you guys probably line up on kind of views of the old Testament violence too. Yes. It's a, it's a, and he has such a way with words. There is something I keep using this word very lovely about uh, progressive Christianity because it offers um, this sort of generous, all inclusive idea. I wonder if it turns out that progressive Christianity was right, or if it turns out that fundamental Christianity was right, or what it will probably be was something in the middle is right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How much will we all be in the new creation one day having mimosas and joking around about, you didn't think that Canaanites really, oh, that's so funny. It turns out they were, or vice versa. I'm less concerned with some of those little things, and I'm a lot more concerned with the sort of uh, essence of Christianity. Like, was Jesus God? Did he have to die? What does his death mean? And you touched on some of this a little bit. Um, and then my next question would be, then what, what is progressive Christianity offering today? Like, what is it at your church that you think is offering a compelling um, reason for people to come check out Christianity that are maybe atheists or agnostics? Are you doing anything at your church that um, we'd say, well, that's really different, but man, it's, it's pulling people into the gospel. Can you talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit? So to, there was a few questions in there. So I'll try to go in order. So uh, I, I understand the sentiment of, uh, you know, that stuff doesn't really matter now. We'll laugh about it one day. Yeah. However, as three, and if I'm assuming too much, please correct me. And I apologize in advance. Three white, cis, het leaders in the church. Mm-hmm. There aren't, I mean, Sarah, you'd probably face more of this as a woman. Um, but there's, it, that's a, that, that statement, I think, is sedative of a place of privilege. Because we're, because yeah, like, there's, there's, not, there's not a lot of, like, fundamental, we're not marginalized, and Sarah, you know, as a woman, I would actually, you know, um, say that you you could probably do a whole show on how you've been marginalized as a woman in the church. Um, but uh, in terms of, you know, queerness or race, um, there's people right here, right now, uh, being marginalized and persecuted by the church. And if we can talk about beliefs all we want, but, and like, you take the doctrine of the Trinity, for example, because it's already come up, a doctrine that I believe in and I think is valuable and important. Mm-hmm. But if believing that doctrine doesn't help you love your neighbor and love those marginalized folks, like who really like gives a crap? So, and, and that's not to say it's not important and something that we need to hold on to, but at the end of the day, I can't, I, I didn't see Jesus going around, uh, you know, policing everybody's beliefs Mm -hmm. 
Um, it was more so like the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now I'm hanging out with you. The religious folks are, I mean, anytime he ever spoke with anybody with any vitriol or name calling, it was always the religious folks. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think at the same time, and and here's another, I'll critique a lot of progressive Christians again. Now, I think there are some progressive Christians where they make it their life's goal to piss off the fundamentalists or conservatives mm-hmm. for the sake of it and just like cause fights. Yeah. I didn't see Jesus doing that. I like, if you're like my main, I, I piss off evangelicals all the time, <laughs> but a lot on social media. However, that's not, if I've got something that I want to say or something that I want to post that I think is going to ruffle feathers, I've got a section of my phone for notes and I'll sit on it for at least 24 hours before mm-hmm. I figure out what my motive, before I figure out what my motives are. Yeah. So Jesus didn't go out of his way to piss off the religious folks. He went out of his way to seek out and love marginalized people. Mm-hmm. And, th- and a byproduct of that is you're going to piss off the religious folks. Yeah. We agree so about that. I think that's really important. I think that's really, yeah. really important. So, um, yeah, but uh, I mean, there, there, there would be love you know and how that's defined or how that's used that's that that's that's always been something where say progressives and i would it, it's almost like we we might have a dis- disagreement about that word but yeah i mean i totally agree that you know jesus had it out for the religious leaders and you know their hypocrisy is woe to you beth said and you know trison and all of that uh whitewashed tombs and the whole bit but he he does call us to repent and believe, and so it, 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 and the apostles call us to repent and believe, and our message ought to be repent and believe. You said sin is still important, repentance is still important, so the mm. question is repent of what and believe in what. Mm. And so, you know, my, my, my concern with a progressive reading of Scripture with, you know, um, maybe a non-traditional hermeneutic is that, um, you know, the context of what we used to say repent of is now changed, you know? Um, so, and, you know, I mean, now, I mean, so for example, if I went to a, and I, by the way, you've already said it, so I can echo it. Uh, many times progressive or just as fundamentalist as, as traditionalist, um, you know, and it's, you must believe this and you must believe that. It's like, well, do you, do you not realize that you're just as legalistic as the church mm-hmm. you just left, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, if I were to go to a progressive church down the road from me on Sunday, I would probably hear about how much I need to, um, you know, be involved with, uh, this issue or that issue. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. I, I, um, I lost my train of thought. There was something I was getting to, but. Well, maybe we should like just for a moment, talk about repentance because a while back we did that, another that series it. where we were yeah. trying to get at this and it, everyone was too nice. And so we didn't actually define any terms, but you said earlier, I wrote it down. Repentance means to change your mind, which okay. is an interesting, uh, I know that that's, that's one way to think about the word. Tell us a little bit more about what you think that means to change your mind, who's doing the mind changing and why, and then like what happens in that process? Yeah, I think it can be a whole, a whole slew of things. I think I used it in the context of, you know, changing my mind about God. And I think Mm. so much of why I haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater and so much of why I talk about issues about um, LGBTQ inclusion in the church is kind of like making up for lost time in a Mm. way, because for Mm -hmm. so long I was part of um, a system um, that 
I believe has blood on their hands of, of queer folks that are um, going as far as taking their own lives because mm. of their experiences in church. Um, so, you know, I've, I've had to come to terms with my repentance of that belief, which I believe is, is damaging and not, not a belief that, that Jesus was hold, would hold. Um, when it comes to like day to day things and relationships, um, you know, if my wife comes to me and says, Hey, you talk to me in this way, or, um, you said this to this person in front of me and embarrassed or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's up to me to, to listen to people and their experiences with me and, and repent and, and change my mind as to why I thought that might be a good idea. It, it, I have to do with my kids all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up having parents that, you know, apologized on regular bait. They were great parents, loved me, had a good childhood for the most part, but um, I, I have to apologize to my kids all the time because they drive me nuts. <laughs> um, and it's just a constant, like, and it, and it, and it's, I, I, I can feel the gears just moving in my head, like, okay, like speaking to him in that way really hurt his feelings. I've got to change my approach to that. And, so I think uh, comes up for me the most in terms of, of yeah, just a, a mind change and, and really listening to people's stories and experiences. And because so often we can think we're being, we're portraying ourselves in a certain way and it, and it, it comes across in a different way. I think intent and impact are, can be two very different things a lot of the time. And so I, and, I, I just want to agree quickly. I mean, I, churches can be mean people in the church can be mean, uh, even, even if I have a traditional understanding of sexuality, um, I don't think anyone could ever accuse me of being cruel towards someone else. But the question then becomes, if I don't affirm a person's sexual proclivities, would you say that I'm being cruel? Would you say that I am, I mean, if I, if I hold the line on biblical sexuality as I understand it, would you say that I could be contributing towards suicide? I would. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not again, not that's where the, that's where, you know, intent and impact. um, That's where the rubber hits the road. Right. What I, what I say, even the very little I know about you, we've never met in person. When I say that's Mm -hmm. your like intent. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, But I think the impact speaks for itself. Yeah. I want to, I would just want to ask one more quick thing about repentance. I know Evan wants to go in and talk about some other stuff and I even texted him too. And then I changed my mind. I repented. I'm joking. When <laughs> the way that you describe repentance, it sounds awesome, but I don't understand how it uh, sort of jives with what Jesus meant. So when he talks about repent and believe, maybe just carve out for us, like, what do you think Jesus meant? What were we supposed to be repenting of? Is there some kind of like obedience that we as humans are just naturally rebellious about that we need someone to over and over say, you've got to repent from this. Like, what did Jesus mean when he said that? Because everything you said, I agree with. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it just has to do with, with selfishness. Right. And that's, and I see if we go right back to the beginning of the story in the garden, Mm -hmm. um, it's putting our desires and wants and needs and what we think we need um, over gods. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, Jesus came to completely upend and overthrow without violence, 
um, an entire mindset of, um, you know, when he says the first shall be last and the last shall be first, and it's hard for a rich man to fit through the eye of a needle, all that stuff, um, I think is him saying, uh, listen, <laughs> like, and, and that's what I love about Paul's writing is, is he's not, I think the idea of like a personal relationship with Jesus, if we were to explain that to Paul now, he'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, it's so <laughs> communal. It's so, yeah. whatever Paul talks about, it's always plural. Hmm. Many of us are free and some of us are free. So I think, I think Jesus's main thing was, listen, like, it's not like love your neighbor, look out for your neighbor's best interests. Let's love one another. And I think it's, it's just a, a repentance of a, an individualistic consumeristic capitalistic i mean we one thing we talked about this past sunday at paradox was um the parable of of uh the the farmer who paid everyone equally regardless mm-hmm. of how much they regardless of how much they worked that day mm-hmm. um which is like if we were to if we were the one that worked eight hours and the one next to us worked off for an hour you know like you're gonna be that's gonna piss you off and that's the kingdom that's the kingdom of heaven it's it's so offensive yeah so i think it's for like me unfair it's just unfair in every good way absolutely absolutely yeah 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 we had that text too and people can find my sermon podcast to listen to what i had to say about it but cool yeah, and we won't we won't debate capitalism because i've done that enough lately with theology with <laughs> Let me, let, let's, let's just end on kind of this note because we've gone over an hour and we don't want to keep you, especially since you're bivocational. Um, and I mean that with a lot of respect because mm-hmm. you're, you're doing, you're, you're making the sacrifice for, for what you believe in. And that means you have a lot of other things to tend to, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, if we look at kind of the very, very contemporary or current issue, uh, which it seems to be something like racial reconciliation or police brutality um, that issue seems to have a, some v- very deep traction, even in fundamentalist SBC evangelical churches. I mean, Matt Chandler, uh, I mean, a, a, a whole host of, of pastors that you might not think would be sympathetic towards some of that, you know, have been. And I noticed that it's, it seems like that's something your church is talking about, just looking at mm-hmm. your, like, your Facebook page. Yep. Um, maybe... I guess just talk about why you think that's important or the time for that is now. Um, and then I maybe have some polite pushback on um, maybe, I mean, whether this is kind of a gospel, gospel-y compromised issue, I guess. Um, first off, I want to acknowledge again, where here's like three white folks talking about it. So it's hard. I, I, I struggle um, I struggle talking about um, where we side on LGBTQ issues or racial issues when there's no one in that group to speak for themselves. So I want to acknowledge that first. Um, and I think I think the issue of I mean, I think you said you people do you agree that the time is now to talk about? I think we're like way past due. Yeah. Um, and I think the only reason why we paid attention is because we're in the middle of a pandemic and we have no, we can't escape it. Because mm-hmm. what happened to George Floyd has happened numerous times before in recent years. Um, but all of a sudden everyone's paying attention. I think it's because we're all stuck at home and we have the time and we're forced to pay attention. 
Um, I don't think it would have it would have gained the traction it did if if life was usual. I really don't. Um, I um, I fully believe it's something that we should be talking about and discussing and uh, figuring out ways in which we're complicit in racism. And I think one of the biggest uh, one of the, a big turning point for me in terms of how I looked at racism and what racism was and wasn't because for me it was before it was just like oh racist people are are uh people that say the n-word or and walk down the street and see a person of color and say something mean or it all, you always had to be like intent about it and mean and you know i didn't see it as a systemic uh issue that's in our schools and I mean, I could talk forever about, you know, the school system up here with indigenous, uh, indigenous folks, like we, our last, our last uh, school um, where kids were forced to assimilate was closed in 1994. Um, you know, the SBC denomination that I was a part of uh, in the States, like didn't even repent for their active role in slavery and somewhere in the nineties as well. I think it was like 1992 or something. So um, clearly like we, the, the system of racism that is involved in our laws and is involved within our police communities and is involved with our education and our church, is deeply in, intrinsic within our church communities. Um, and, you know, colonialism's wrapped up in that too. So I think it's uh, past due that we're talking about it. And I think it's just a really good time for, for white folks to... Yeah to sit back and listen and figure out how we can educate ourselves better and be better allies and really do the work. Cause it takes a lot. It takes a lot of work to do the work on our own and not be spoon fed by people of color as to how our actions and beliefs are, are damaging. Hmm. I, I definitely want to uh, agree. There's no denying. And, and I've done an interview with and read um, Joel McDermott's book, the problem of slavery in Christian America. I, think I got all that right. And I'd recommend that to people. Um, and it's a very detailed history of the way that, you know, the American church was complicit uh, in the slave trade in, in many respects, not, not all respects, not every, not to a person, but in many respects, we were silent when we shouldn't have been. I think the correlation to that would be abortion in our own day. Um, so, but that said, I, I, I completely agree that, um, you know, that, that we, we, we tolerated, racism for for a very long time and and um i wouldn't deny that my my only maybe not my only but i guess my concern or my critique with say aligning with somebody like black lives matter which is not a christian organization um is that actually the thing that actually can bring people together that are different we see this in the new testament we see this in church history is the gospel it is the understanding that we are made in not you know god's image and that they're you know they're I hate to say this because I know you're not going to like it, but there is one human race um, that as human beings, we hold more in common and that in Christ, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, another cliche, but it's true. Um, and so uh, that isn't something I would like preach to a person of color. If they've been wounded by the church, I think I would spend a lot of time listening first, but I, I would, I, I couldn't align with black lives matter as an organization, for example, because I, I think ultimately they, they're not preaching, they're not, they're not wanting unity. They're not wanting us to come together. They, they seem to really, it seems to be a message of 
of separation and even going back to segregation. <clears throat> I hear a lot and it seems like the church should be involved in bringing people together. So I, I don't know, maybe you would disagree with that assessment. I think it's a really black lives matter as an organization. Um, <clears throat> I think it's important to unpack, like, what do we mean when we say black lives matter as an or organization? Cause you know, I hear people, um, say, okay, well, you can't judge every police officer, officer that mm -hmm. this, well, you don't judge Black Lives Matter as an organization um, based on the actions of one person who say they believe in Black Lives Matter. Because Black Lives Matter as an organization, in terms of like people uh, in the organizational structure, is very, very, very small. Mm -hmm. um, but then you've got people going out and with Black Lives Matter signs, you're like, okay, are they employed by Black Lives Matter? Do they, did they just show up and they don't know? So I think, I think it gets dicey there. My, my, I think the danger, um, while I completely agree with you, um, that the gospel of Jesus uh, has a lot to say about race. Like when you, when you said, you know, the gospel the message of Jesus can fix this. I agree. Um, but I shouldn't say, but, and I think that excludes a lot of people from the conversation who wouldn't identify as Christians, hmm. um, which I think it's really important to, and I think Jesus would do the same thing. I don't think, I don't think Jesus came to, you know, cancel Judaism and start a new religion. Um, I think if he came back and saw that we like just did the same thing over again, he'd be like, Oh, you did it again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's not us and them. I think, I think the gospel of Jesus is so wide and so inclusive and so that we don't, we can, we can preach it without, without, yeah, I think it was, it was it uh, St. Francis who said, preach the gospel, gospel always when necessary, use words. Um, Augustine, yeah. right? He's giving credit. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who actually said it. But. Whoever said it. Yeah. Um, while I think in certain contexts, um, Jesus's name does need to be brought up. At the same time, I think I think there are people within the Black Lives Matter organization and those that support it that are doing Christ work, and I think there are people that would say they support the organization that are not. Yeah. Yeah, and. Let, let me ask you this, because like I noticed on your on like the church website, y'all had a gathering where it looked like it was only for for people of color. I, explain that to me, because that's that would be one of my concerns, right? Like if we, I guess, in the interest of something like a safe space or something, or people wounded by the churches, I guess I'm the the reason for that. But does that just push the idea that like white and black people can't even now be in the church at the same time, or that? Um, I don't know what you're referring to <laughs> in terms of that i thought i saw on on the paradox collective on your facebook page there was like a, a, a meeting uh a few months ago like in february or so where it looked like it was for people of color only did i see that wrong if so i'll edit maybe, all this maybe out. maybe but i will say i'll i'll use i'll use uh uh friends of mine who put on a conference uh just outside of toronto uh, last year and they had a conference that focused on social justice mm -hmm. and they had a green room type thing set up for people of color 
um, exclusively as a safe space for them to, you know, unpack something that's some, cause that's the thing, right? Like we, racism isn't always mean or full of intent. Mm -hmm. Um, racism can be, you know, like, yeah, like me commenting on a little black girl's hair at the park, you know, and she's heard it a billion times, you know? So, um, so I think, I think it is important in some context for, uh, people of color to have a space because at the end of the day, like we're, I've never felt uncomfortable in any meeting in any church I ever grew up with because I was white. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, but every person of color that I've talked to, it's the opposite experience. So I think creating that space as a way of, of honoring um, one's experience and having a place where they can uh, have other people to talk to and unpack, you know, the, the last session or whatever I think is, I think it's a beautiful thing and it's not, and I know people that have participated. No, it's not like, all right, let's go in here and bash the white people. Like it's not that it's, you know, yeah. so while we've never uh, done anything like that yet on a formal basis, I know, I know organizations that have, and I think in, in context like that, I think it's important. Well, if I, if I incorrectly, I do apologize for that. Or maybe we did. And I totally forgot just about a long time ago. So, you know, like okay. pre-COVID, which feels like five years ago, but well, I don't I remember anything pre-COVID. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> well, uh, just a couple of parting thoughts on my end, and you'll definitely get the last word. But um, one is that I, what I've said is, is you know, it, my, my ultimate goal would be unity. I mean, and I, and I think, again, that, that in the gospel, there is unity. I, you know, I, 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 I like to think that I hate racism, um, but I may not agree with how people define that term now. You know, what I, what I really want is that enough people to know the true gospel of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. that racism would, would die a natural death to the extent that it, that it could. Um, but I also want to just say that I, I hope I'm that, that nice conservative that you would have coffee with instead of the cranky <laughs> uh, fundamentalist. So I hope that we've at least like tried to model that today. Yeah, um, absolutely. But trying to point out some differences yeah. as well. Um, Because I think we would each have concerns about the other's theology, about the harm they do to persons or the harm they do to the church. But I don't know, Sarah, you want to have any last words before Andrew had the last word before we wrapped it up. So, No, I'm just so glad you came on today. And I I am excited for people to listen to the whole series and listen to um, where each sort of end of the spectrum offers its own sort of version of grace. I think that's been really lovely to listen to. And um, so I'm, I'm grateful that you were on today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. Well, yeah. any last thoughts, Andrew? Yeah, I, I just want to echo the last thing you said, and I think a key distinction and something that I've learned and thought a lot about in recent years is the difference between unity and uniformity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, like I, I recognize both of you as brothers and sisters in Christ, and with with the with the belief that I believe there are certain things that you believe that are damaging and in full acknowledgement that, you know, that the, the beliefs that I hold might be too loose or wishy-washy or I've heard all the art, the slippery slopes. I've heard it all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, uh, you know, I respect anybody that uh, uh, is integral to themselves and feels the, 
feels the freedom and the joy and the struggle to, um, you know, pull the sweater apart and to, and to look under the rug and, and to doubt. Cause for me, my, my, my doubts actually led me to an actual faith. Mm. Um, whereas before I think all I had was, was certainty and it just wasn't working anymore. Mm. And I think Jesus calls us to faith. So, um, Where can late, you- I'm sorry. Go ahead. That? I, I was going to say the, the late, uh, Rachel held Evans, uh, whenever she was asked why she was a Christian, um, she'd always say, because it's, it's the story that to me is worth being wrong about. Hmm. And I so, I so relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well on that note, where can people find you or your, or your church? Um, our church website is paradoxcollective.com. Um, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I think my handle is Andrew Paul Hill. Um, yeah, I love, I love curating uh, safe spaces to have respectful dialogue with all sorts of people. And I think it's, I think it's important, especially in these times where a lot of us are stuck at home to be able to have those conversations that, that are just like this, like that we're having right now. So, yeah. Well, we really appreciate your time. Like I said, I appreciate that you're bivocational and that that's an extra time drain for sure. So, uh, especially with three boys and a dog, I see. So, yeah. And two yeah. snakes. Oh, wow. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Everyone that's been listening, find our website. It's up now, HoustonTOT.com. And of course, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Theology on Tap Houston. Thanks to Sarah Stone, Outreach Coordinator for Young Adults at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church, of course, for joining us as well today. I'm Evan McClanahan. I'm the pastor over at First Lutheran. You can find me there. But again, HoustonTOT.com is where to find us. Subscribe to the podcast. By the way, give us a rating. Give us a five-star review. Yes. Um, and if, if it's anything less than five stars, then write me a personal email and tell me why, and then we'll do better. So anyway, thanks so much for listening. And until next time, we encourage you to question freely, think deeply, and disagree as needed.